Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We just crossed the border into Nogales, Sonora, so it's the Mexican side of Nogales. We're at the downtown area now, right next to the border fence. Uh, so this That's Rafael Carranza, a reporter with the Arizona Republic. He covers the U.S.-Mexico border, and he's showing me the wall in Nogales, marking that border. The wall, by the way, technically it's an enormous fence. It's made up of huge metal slabs. Um, you have an 18-foot rust-colored bollard fence. And then there are six coils of barbed wire on top of each other. Nogales straddles the edge of Arizona and Sonora, Mexico. It's known as Ambos Nogales, literally both Nogaleses, the Mexican side and the American side. In the past few years, the U.S. federal government put up these panels of mesh wire because there's like slits in the wall. And so they were trying to prevent people from passing illegal contraband. Historically, that was used for people to share meals or to reach across and touch each other or spend some time, but that's no longer possible because of these wire mesh panels. For a long time, the city was divided by a flimsy chain-link fence, a fence that, over the years, ended up with a lot of holes and gaps. It wasn't well-maintained or heavily monitored, and residents could cross back and forth easily. That all changed in 1995. That's when the U.S. government replaced the flimsy fence with a much bigger wall, dividing Ambos Nogales. The wall has changed this community and the lives of the people that live there. And now, President Trump wants to take the Nogales model national. We're going to have strong, incredible borders. It's going to be a Trump wall. It's an amazing project, and it's going to be a great wall, and it's going to work. It's not even a difficult thing to do. For the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is The Impact. I'm Jillian Weinberger. This season, the 2020 U.S. presidential candidates have some big ideas. We've been investigating how those ideas worked or didn't work in other places or at other times. Up until now, we've focused on the Democratic candidates. In our final episode of the season, we have President Trump's signature proposal, a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. It's a drum he's been beating since his 2016 campaign, a project that's already started and that he's campaigning on building out even further. Nogales has lived with a very similar wall for about 25 years. Today on the show, the story of that community and the wall that changed it. Rafael Carranza was my guide through Nogales. As we walked the border, he explained how dramatically different this wall is from what came before. The very large tower is keeping an eye out on this entire border area. Um, It has infrared sensors, cameras, lights. It's hard not to think of a prison. Yeah, I think it definitely does give off that look. 
To understand how all of that changed Nogales, you have to understand what the city used to be like back in the 1960s and 1970s. Back then, Ambos Nogales felt more like one big community. As a kid, there was just no issue going across the border. It was a seamless process. And everybody knew who everybody was. On a Mexican holiday, like the Cinco de Mayo, they would actually let everybody come across the border. And it was a great celebration. The agent would greet my mother, Senora Coronado, que trae ahora? Hi, Mrs. Valencia, that would have been my mom. How are you today? And mom would say, oh, we're fine. We're going over to get tortillas, you know. The customs agents, they knew who your parents were. So as you got older and you went across the line, you were drinking. By the time you got home, your parents already had a phone call. So-and-so just crossed the border. We just wanted to let you know. Did that happen to you? My brothers. <laughs> I was a little sneakier. But then, Nogales started to change. Nogales, Sonora, will never be the same as when I was growing up. Uh, Even when I joined the police department in 1966 and beyond. A lot of those changes have to do with factors far outside Nogales' city limits, like globalization. In the 1970s, and especially into the 80s, American companies started to move manufacturing jobs across the border. A lot of Mexicans migrated to border cities for work, and the population of Nogales, Sonora, exploded. It just started growing by leaps and bounds. It's obviously more dangerous, uh, the population, the poverty. When I talked with the county sheriff, Tony Estrada, he told me that the Arizona side also started having problems with crime, especially in the area right next to the fence, where Carmen Flores lives. I've lived here all my life, 65 years. Mm -hmm. Carmen's back porch opens out onto the border from the Arizona side. Rafael and I sat and talked with her out there. We could see the trains ferrying goods between the U.S. and Mexico to the west. And the wall, with its curls of barbed wire, stretched in front of us. Behind it, Nogales Sonora was preparing for Mexico's Independence Day celebrations later that evening. We could hear these intermittent trumpet blasts, musicians practicing for the festivities. They're getting ready for the parade. Carmen's parents bought this house when she was a freshman in high school. My parents both are immigrants. My dad actually immigrated from Nogales, Sonora, and then mom immigrated from southern Sonora. They moved into the house in 1969, and soon after, the break-ins began. We had gone to the beach, and we came back that weekend, and my room in particular had been the room that had been trashed the most. And to see my very private things messed with, and touched, that was horrible. That was something that took me a long time to deal with. And then, a few years later, when Carmen was in college... Dad's asleep. He's the only one in the house, in his bedroom. And he hears a stir. And he wakes up, turns on the light, and there's a guy standing on the frame of the door. He's got an ice pick in one hand and a screwdriver in the other one. And Dad goes, What are you doing here? I really see it as providential, the fact that the guy got scared and ran out of the house. Carmen's family house was broken into again. And again. A total of seven times. But still, her parents held on to the house as their kids grew up, left home, and created families of their own. They watched from their back porch as Nogales Sonora continued to grow. And again, that growth stemmed from factors mostly outside of Nogales' control. 
like when this happened. I'd also like to welcome here the representatives from Mexico and Canada. In December of 1993, President Clinton signed the North American Free Trade Agreement into law, which meant more and more companies moved their manufacturing plants across the border. NAFTA will tear down trade barriers between our three nations. But NAFTA did more than that. It had all kinds of knock-on consequences. Like, cheap U.S. produce flooded the Mexican market. And that put a lot of Mexican farmers out of business, including Rafael's family. Now, they needed to look for work. My family, like many other families, decided that the United States was probably the best place to do that. Rafael's dad actually got legal status in the United States during the Reagan administration. So he was able to bring his family over pretty easily when he decided to give up farming for good. For many others, that wasn't an option, and they needed work at a terrible time. Mexico's financial crisis got worse today. And this is where another major global factor changed the city of Nogales. In December of 1994, the end of NAFTA's first year, the Mexican government devalued the peso. Peso fell further against the dollar despite efforts by the Mexican and U.S. governments to prop it up. Mexico's unemployment rate doubled. The number of people living in poverty increased by more than 20 percent. A lot of people wanted to come to the United States to look for work. Illegally crossing the border between Nogales, Arizona and Nogales, Sonora has always been routine. But the numbers of people crossing this week have been anything but routine. On Tuesday, 690 people were arrested, a single-day record. Illegal immigration was running higher and higher every year. That's Doris Meisner. Starting in 1993 and all through President Clinton's tenure. I was the commissioner of the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Undocumented immigration became a big political issue in the early 90s. Arizona, California, and a bunch of other states actually sued the federal government. They thought it wasn't doing enough to patrol the border. Nogales was a hotspot. So was El Paso, where the Border Patrol chief decided to try an experiment. He had put into place something called Operation Blockade. And it was an effort to take all of his resources and move them all up right along the border in El Paso so that it was not possible for people to cross. And he was strongly, strongly lauded. Many people in El Paso felt like Operation Blockade made crime go down that it helped clean up their city. And as Doris Meisner prepared for her Senate confirmation hearings, the perceived success of Operation Blockade was front-page news. And so this Operation Blockade got a lot of press, and it just happened that that's when my hearings were, and I was asked explicitly, what assurances can you give us that you will take this evidence Seriously, will you put this strategy into place in other places along the border? Doris promised she would. She got confirmed, and in the summer of 1995, she took the El Paso strategy to Nogales. The chain link fence came down, and in its place is the new two mile long solid steel fence, and twice as many agents are patrolling behind it. There happened to be 
landing mat available, which was surplus material from the Vietnam War. Corrugated steel panels used as portable landing mats for military helicopters. There were people in the Border Patrol that were looking at the landing mat and saying, hey, if we put that landing mat up, it would make a very good barrier. I heard a lot of complaints about the landing mat wall. Ugly steel green rusting wall. It was ugly. It It was was ugly. ugly. It looked really terrible. Of course, it was very ugly. (laughs) It was was by no means aesthetic, but it was a solution at that point that was better than the chain link. Did the wall change immigration rates across the border? Oh, yes, absolutely. The night shift has always been the busiest for the Border Patrol in Nogales, Arizona. On this evening, about 130 people were arrested for illegally crossing the border bringing the total for the day to 236. That's a big decrease from the record of 690 arrests in one day last February. Cross-border crime like robberies and property crime, that all dropped after the wall went up. And the government reinforced the wall with more Border Patrol agents and new surveillance technology, both in the city and along the border. Today, Nogales is among the safest cities in the entire country. Residents like Carmen Flores are relieved. When they started building the more permanent wall, did you feel like, oh, this is really, we need this? Yes. I don't understand why individual people have a right to have a fence and doors locked, and yet a country can't. There on her back porch, holding her puppy, Cleo, Carmen told us that she hasn't had any problems with burglaries or break-ins since the wall went up. She's really happy with it especially since the federal government replaced the landing mat in 2011. The border is now lined with tall, copper-colored steel slabs. I mean, this is a beautiful fence. This is a classy fence. President Trump wants to build a wall all along the U.S.-Mexico border. Given your experience here, what would you tell him if you were advising him? Taller and thicker. Make it taller, make it thicker. I'm being facetious, but yes, we need it. We need something. Some migrants are still determined to come. And because of that, the wall has had some serious consequences in Nogales and beyond. For one, the wall has forced a lot of migrants to cross through the desert. Doris told me Border Patrol was unprepared for this. The agency thought that if it could gain control over crossing areas like Nogales... Geography would be the best deterrent in much of the rest of the border. One of the big critiques and one of the big things that Border Patrol really didn't expect is how quickly the traffic would shift, how willing people were, and especially smugglers were, to bring people into more dangerous areas. Crossing through the desert is really dangerous. In the 1990s, the local morgue recorded an average of 18 migrant deaths per year. By the early 2000s, that number shot up to nearly 200. Some experts believe thousands of migrants have died trying to bypass the wall by crossing through the desert. And those dangerous routes through the desert have a huge price tag. Another far-reaching consequence of the walls the Clinton administration built along the border. Rafael Carranza, the Arizona Republic reporter, he told me smugglers take full advantage. 
they can go ahead and turn to the migrants and charge them a lot more than they would in the past. A family that I talked to in Nogales just a few months ago, smugglers were charging them $7,500 per person. And this was a family of four. So we're talking about close to $30,000 to get them across the border. A lot of smugglers work with cartels. So even though the U.S. hoped the wall would diminish the power of cartels, in some ways, the cartels are actually benefiting from the wall. Smuggling migrants is a lucrative business. The wall is certainly making the attempt to cross from Mexico more dangerous, but it isn't stopping these migrants. And whether or not there is a wall, immigration across the southern border of the U.S. is still a reality, because there's a whole group of people trying to cross through legal channels. Their purpose is to claim asylum in the United States. People fleeing poverty, they're fleeing violence. Most of these families are from Central America. But while immigration from Mexico as a whole has decreased, Rafael still sees a lot of families from states in southern Mexico. Guerrero, Michoacán, Oaxaca, Chiapas, states that have very fertile lands that have drawn the cartels into, you know, growing some poppies. And as the cartels battle it out to get control of those growing areas, that has produced a large wave of violence in these states. And so many of the families are being forced out of their communities. Rafael and I met some of them in a church-run shelter on the Sonora side of Nogales. We went with a volunteer from an Episcopal church, Reverend Roger Babnew. The two quarters we have up here are all women and children. Around 70 migrants were there the day I visited. All of them were hoping for asylum. They presented themselves at the border legally. They didn't hire smugglers to bypass the wall. They're not trying to cross through the desert. There's three women with children there. And then here there's some sisters with their children. They're living here while they wait their turn to meet with immigration officials, and they usually wait about four months. I talked with one of the women staying there, a mom named Teresa, from Guerrero in southern Mexico. She's 25 years old. When Rafael and I met her, she'd been in the shelter for three weeks. She was friendly with us, but she looked really tired. She was there with her eight-year-old son, Cristian Angelo. And she was about six months pregnant with his baby sister. She was anxious about keeping them all safe. She left because her hometown is controlled by cartels. And a few years ago, on an afternoon in July, they kidnapped her cousin. He was 18 years old. They took him from her uncle's grocery store. The kidnappers kept him for five days. They wanted 800,000 pesos, more than $40,000. Her uncle had to mortgage his store and his house. Teresa's parents also loaned her uncle some money, but she told me she felt lucky. She told me some people can't get the money together. Others do, but their loved ones are returned to them already dead. Still, her cousin returned beaten with psychological trauma. The whole episode made Teresa worry about her safety and her son's future. So she decided to leave. She saved up some money, and in late August, she fled. She asked for asylum at the Nogales border. 
She told me, the only thing I think about now is I ask God to let me get asylum and to take my child away from all the violence that is happening in Mexico. Nogales' 18-foot wall, covered in razor wire, isn't stopping these asylum seekers. And it's not stopping others from paying smugglers to get them across. But apart from immigration, on the Arizona side, the wall has had other consequences. The barrier has actually affected one of President Trump's core constituencies in the 2016 election. Small business owners. Downtown Nogales, Arizona, was once a bustling business district, with sidewalks jam-packed with people. But now, we'll find out after the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back. Raphael and I walked around downtown Nogales, Arizona with Bruce Bracker. Their lease came up and they decided not to renew. Bruce was born and raised here, the third generation of Brackers in Nogales. He led us to a store called Melrose Family Fashion, a place crowned with racks filled with low-cost clothes. It's all lit by these fluorescent yellow overhead fixtures. We're standing in front of what used to be our store, Bracker's Department Store. I see your name on the floor here. So, so our name is still in the terrazzo. For a long time, Bruce was a partner in his family business, a group of stores in downtown Nogales. Children's and evening wear on the second floor. Including the crown jewel, Bracker's Department Store. We talked more in Bruce's office. I was always in the business. These days, he's an elected supervisor in Santa Cruz County, Nogales' home. His grandparents bought their first store in Nogales in 1924. They passed it down to Bruce's dad and his uncles, who found a new downtown site for it. Eventually, Bruce took it over. In 1954, they had the grand opening, and the store was drop-dead, absolutely gorgeous. I mean, you would see a store with fixtures and merchandise like that and in Chicago, on you know, downtown L.A. and New York. I mean, it was just really high-quality stuff. These stores were the largest commerce in our community. They were the places where families worked. I know in our store, we had employees that worked for us for up to 50 years. Most of their employees were local to Nogales, Arizona. But most of the customers 
90% of our customers came from Mexico. So we used to always say that physically we're in the United States, but economically we're in Mexico. That all changed when the wall went up in 1995. The difficult part was watching our business community in our downtown just suffer from the lack of people coming over. Bruce says the physical barrier doesn't deserve all the blame. He's also frustrated about the staffing, or lack thereof, around it. There's this shortage of federal customs officers at the entry points along the Nogales border, and that means crossing into Arizona from Sonora can take hours at certain times of day. I mean, if your favorite store made you wait 15 minutes every time you went to go buy something, how long would it be your favorite store? Not very long. And all of a sudden, we started making people wait 45 minutes, an hour and a half, two hours to cross the border. Bruce's best customers began to disappear. Some of the drop-off had to do with general problems in retail, like the rise of online shopping. But the dramatic drop in downtown foot traffic didn't help. At its peak, nearly 8 million people per year crossed from Nogales, Sonora, to the Arizona side. Recently, it's dropped to about 3 million. And in 2017, Bruce had to make a tough choice. Many people would have said you should have closed it, you know, eight years ago. For me, it was just fight as hard as you can to, to save the business. But at the end of the day, when it became apparent that it just wasn't going to happen, there was no regrets. When Raphael and I went downtown with Bruce, he talked about what the area around the store used to look like back in the 70s and 80s. Standing here looking south, you would see a sea of people walking towards you and walking away from you. We had a store here. We had a store down the street where the Woolworth building is. And I would literally walk in the street to go from building to building. Otherwise, it would take me too long to walk on the sidewalk. Because there are so many people there shopping. There are so many people shopping. Can you give us maybe like a timeline when you started to see some of the changes along this street? So the first stores that closed were the Petri stores. After that, it was Crest store. Then the Woolworth store closed. And then finally, the last national store left here was JCPenney. JCPenney closed in 2011. Today, there are a few discount stores, including Melrose Family Fashion, where Bracker's department store used to be. There are some boarded up buildings and very few shoppers. While Nogales, Sonora has grown over the last decade, Nogales, Arizona has been losing population. Do you think that your kids will stay here? My kids are gone. <laughs> and I doubt my kids are will come back. Do you think if the store is still open, your kids would think about coming back? Probably. Even though they were out exploring and doing whatever they wanted to do, it would have been an anchor for them to come back. A wall keeps people out. Some of those people might have bad intentions, like the people who broke into Carmen's house. But some of them might be customers, like the ones that Bruce and all of downtown Nogales lost. And some might be friends and family, waiting in line for hours to cross a border that used to be porous. Over the last 25 years, Nogales also learned that the wall won't prevent people from trying to come to the United States. It may deter some immigrants, but for others who are desperate enough, a dangerous journey through the desert is worth a shot. 
Still, President Trump has already started building his wall at other points along the border. Those walls are even taller than the one in Nogales. The Trump administration has been championing 30-foot steel slats or bollards to make it even more discouraging for people to climb over. It's also six feet underground to discourage people from digging under. But we're starting to hear now about smugglers who have turned to power tools to cut holes through the slats. So I think that the U.S. government now is finding just how creative a lot of these smuggling groups can be. And they're running up into some of the same challenges that previous administrations face whenever they erected new barriers. On her back porch, Carmen Flores had told me, I don't understand why individual people have a right to have a fence and doors locked, and yet a country can't. Setting aside the question about rights, Nogales and towns like it sitting at the southern edge of the country have learned that it's just not that easy to lock the doors at the border. It seems that when people are desperate to cross, they find a way. Thank you so much for listening. A quick coda, Reverend Babnu told me that Teresa Wadarama and her son made it across the border to Austin, Texas. They're living with relatives there while they wait for their asylum hearing. Thank you to the Arizona Republic for all their help on this episode. If you want to learn more about what's going on at the border, Rafael Carranza's reporting is indispensable. You can find his work at azcentral.com. And a big, big thank you to the amazing Maritza Dominguez for her field producing and translation help on this episode. You can hear her work on the Valley 101 podcast. And for more reporting on the border wall and migrant deaths, you can find links from the Arizona Republic and Radiolab in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this season of The Impact. We love making this show and we love hearing from you. So please send comments and questions to impact at vox.com. The Impact is edited by Amy Drozdowska. Our producer is Bird Pinkerton. Mixing and scoring on this episode from Jared Paul with help from Paul Mounsey. We had music from Jukebox the Ghost, APM, Chris Zabriskie, and Poddington Bear. Special thanks this week to Irasema Coronado, Sheriff Tony Estrada, Celeste Gonzalez de Bustamante, Randall McGuire, and Marco Flores. A big thank you to Liz Nelson, Vox's editorial director for podcasts, for all her help with this season. And thank you to Lauren Katz, Zach Kahn, and Marika Ball-Damberg for all their help with marketing and engagement. And finally, thank you always to our original host, Sarah Cliff. I'm Jillian Weinberger. Thank you so much for listening. 